morning, everyone. My name is Dania. I'm going to read the second Bible reading today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Um, on my pew Bible is on page 1239. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The coming of the Lord. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Amen. Uh, good morning again, Pete's my name. Uh, I'd love you to keep that part of the Bible open. So if you're reading on the screen, you've got a Bible near you, it would be great for you to open up uh, to that part of God's Word. And there's an outline in your news sheets as well, which you might find helpful, if nothing else, as a timepiece as to how we're going. Uh, let's pray once again. Uh, Father in heaven, we desperately need you. We need you always. Uh, we need you now. Father, please, would you cast off distractions uh, excuses, um, reasons to not hear you speak now. And Father, please, would you supernaturally be at work in us by your Spirit to do what only you can do, uh, to grip our hearts and our minds and our lives and to change us and fill us with a hope uh, that will endure even through the face of death. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, friends, I don't know about you, um, but I will never forget my first funeral. Uh, I was 18 years old, just out of high school, just out of home, uh, and my grandfather, a man I deeply love, uh, died. I can uh, still remember being at the steelworks where I worked, uh, seeing my company supervisor walk toward me uh, with that grey, hopeless look on his face. Uh, I can remember being called into the office uh, where the company social worker was waiting, and I can remember that sick, sinking feeling when before either had opened their mouth, I knew why they had called me in. And I remember the funeral. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know I have about the worst memory in the world. Um, but I remember that funeral. I remember the hall we met in. I remember the faces of the people there. I remember the crowd that turned up. But most of all, what I remember is the massive difference in the grief of some of those who were there and the grief of others. I remember it was as if you could have drawn a line right down the middle of the church. And on the one side, there was nothing but hopeless despair and grief. And on the other... Well, I can still remember my little brother saying at the time, it looks like they almost want to have a party. 
Now, now to say that they wanted to have a party was a slight overstatement, but, but he had a point. There was a radical, observable difference in the way those two groups of people dealt with death. It was as stark as night and day, as clear as hope and hopeless. And friends, I wonder if you've ever seen it too. Perhaps at the last funeral you were at. Perhaps right here. Did you see the difference in the room? Between those on the one hand who seemed unable to face the reality standing right there in front of them and those who could face it even with hope and peace, even with joy amidst the pain and tears. And if you did, or if you one day will, the question I ask is why? What did the party people know that the other people didn't? What did the peace people have that the other people lacked? And more to the point, what will it take for us to be among them? when our turn comes, or or perhaps comes again, when it's our parent, our friend, our child, whose life is tragically taken. What has the power to so radically transform your perspective on death that you can even have hope and peace and joy, even amidst the tears? We see, that's what we find out here. That's why this passage was written. To give God's people hope even in the face of death. Pick it up there, verse 13. Do you have it? Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. See, as Paul continues his letter to the people he loves, he shares with them two deep desires he has for them. And the first is that they will not be uninformed about those who fall asleep. That is, that they would not be ignorant about those who sleep in death. After all, if death does anything, it exposes our ignorance, doesn't it? It fills us with questions that are beyond our reach to answer. Questions like, where is my grandpa? Where is my daughter? Has their pain finally stopped? Are they now okay? Will I ever see them again? And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those questions. I don't want you to be uninformed, my brothers and sisters. Why? Well, here's Paul's second desire. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Now, please notice here, won't you, what Paul doesn't say. It's desperately important. He doesn't say, so you will not grieve. Full stop. So you will not cry, not ever. So you will not hurt for days and weeks and even years. No, that's not what he says. 
It's right to grieve. It's right to cry, just as Jesus did. Do you remember at the tomb of his friend Lazarus? Even when he knew he was about to wake him up back in John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept over death. And so should we. But not, Paul says, verse 13, like the rest who have no hope. Not like those for whom death is the great full stop on life. Not like those who, who have to pretend some imagined future to try to kind of salve the pain. I remember talking to one of our old neighbours once after her own dear husband died, a man we knew and loved and tried to speak to when his death was coming soon. Do you know what she said? To comfort herself and her granddaughter with her? It's okay, she said. Bill's up there. Granddad's up there. He's one of those twinkling stars looking down on us. Do you see? And I suppose you can understand why she said it with the granddaughter standing there. I mean, you have to say something, don't you? But as you know, and I knew, and she knew, and I think even her granddaughter knew, that is an empty, inadequate, hopeless response in the face of death. You see, that's Paul's point. We have something so much better. Why? For what reason? Because we have hope in Jesus. We have hope for more. And the resurrection proves that hope is true. You see, what was the difference at my grandfather's funeral? What will it take for us to be amongst them when our time comes? It's this. It's that half the room knew this, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again to life. And so, because, because he did, when he returns, so too will all who trust in him. Have another look, verse 14, verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. One contemporary of Paul wrote, nobody wakes from death. Paul disagrees. Another one wrote, hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. Friends, God disagrees. He says that because Jesus died and because Jesus rose, he will return. And when he does, Jesus himself will reach down to those we have loved and lost and he will say, Tim, John, Elka, Isabel, It's time to wake up. It's time to get up now. And friends, that's what they'll do. I think it was the great Charles Spurgeon who wrote that for the Christian, 
Christ has turned the tomb into a bed. And he's right. You see, that's why sleep is such a perfect description of Christian death. Did you see it there in verse 14? Indeed, that's why almost exclusively, and I wonder if you've ever noticed this, right through the New Testament, that's how Christian death is described. After all, I want you to remember back in John chapter 11, uh, what Jesus said of Lazarus. He says this, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Or 1 Corinthians 15, as, as Paul speaks of those who saw the risen Jesus, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Or as we heard in that first reading, Steve brought to us, what Jesus says as Jairus' daughter, Matthew 9, the girl's not dead, but asleep. And of course, the crowd who were there laughed and they jeered and they mocked Jesus. After all, they knew what we know, that nobody simply wakes up and out of death. But then what did Jesus do? As an enacted promise of what he will do for all of those who fall asleep in him, Jesus said, little girl, get up. And that's what she did. Because Jesus died, Christians only sleep. Because Jesus rose, all Christians, on the day that he returns, will rise to life too. And here's how it'll happen. Verse 15, do you see it? Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever." John Stott so beautifully summarizes, and I wonder if you can see it in the verses. First, verse 16, Jesus will return. Then, same verse, the dead in Christ will rise. And then, verse 17, the rest in Christ will be raptured. And then finally, joyfully, we'll all be reunited with him. He said, return, resurrection, rapture, reunion. And of course, there's more that will happen when Jesus returns, and the rest of God's word makes that clear. Both for the created world and it being made new. For those without Christ and the judgment to come. But here, for those who grieve, for fellow believers who've gone to the grave, this is what Paul wants us to know. Do not be ignorant about this, Paul says. Not even be ignorant about how it will happen. And there's two things, I think, in those verses he especially wants us to see. And the first is that both for those who sleep in death and for those who remain alive, Jesus' return will be unmissable. And second, the best thing about his return was that we will get to be with him. After all, I wonder, can you imagine how the Thessalonians must have worried? in particular for their friends who've died before them. They were, after all, the first generation 
after Jesus died and rose. They, like us, were looking forward to his return. But now some of their friends were dying before Jesus' return. Were they going to miss it? Were they going to miss out? Well, no, Paul says. Don't worry. Don't worry about those who've fallen asleep in Christ. Verse 15, they won't be disadvantaged. In fact, verse 16, they'll be risen first. And so don't worry about those who sleep in Christ. Verse 16, don't worry about yourselves either. Nobody will miss this. After all, how could you? Did you see the verses? The loud command, the shout of the angel, the blast of the trumpet, the Lord coming, the dead rising, us lifting. Now, of course, some cult groups like the Jehovah Witnesses want to tell us otherwise. And if you knew this about this particular cult, they say Jesus kind of snuck in, snuck out. Paul says, there'll be no sneaking. No matter who you are or where you are, even if you're in the grave, you will not miss this. And better yet, point two, you will not miss the very best part. What's that? Well, it's not the angels or the trumpets, as spectacular as that will be. It's not even our reunion with those we've loved and lost. And can you even imagine how wonderful that will be? No, the very best part is Him. It's Jesus. It's being with the one who made you and saved you and is coming back for you. See, that's why Paul ends that wonderful part of God's word there with the great climax of verse 17. Did you see it? And so we will be with the Lord forever. Friends, that's what will make heaven heaven. It's him who will be at the centre of our joy. In some ways it reminds me of our annual visit to see grandma and granddad. I don't know if it was like this for you growing up or maybe it's like this for your kids or grandkids now. Uh, But at the end of every year we we load up the car for the kind of 20-hour grandparent circuit. Uh, And the kids are loaded in, snacks are loaded in, toys are loaded in along with about as many electronic distractions as we can possibly find. And we start the journey. You know, and we continue the journey. And we continue the journey. And, and as much as the are we there yet multiply, the kind of longer the journey goes on, so too does something else. Do you know what it is? It's the excitement. The anticipation. And I suppose Grandma's delicious and patented sausage rolls have something to do with it. And maybe the sort of jumping castle slash water slide at Grand and Gramps' place has something to do with it. But you know what? When at last we stop that car and the doors fling open, 
And not always necessarily in that order, by the way. And the children jump out. It's not the sausage rolls they run to. And it's not the jumping castle they cling to. What is it? It's Gran and Gramps. And Grandma and Grandad. And see, Paul says, so too will it be for us on that wonderful day. Only even more so. Even as we run to those we've loved and lost, we will run together to him who've come to take us home. Friends, it's Christ we will cling to when at last he calls us home. The best thing is we will get to be with him. And friends, see, I want to say that was the difference in that church hall 25 years ago at my grandfather's funeral. That was what half the room knew and half the room didn't. And that's what we need to know when our time comes, or as many of you have already known, when death has come close to you. You see, that's why Paul says there finally in verse 18, do you see it? Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Friends, Jesus is coming to take his people home. Death is not the end. And so remind one another, Paul says. Like actually say it to each other. When the next tragedy appears on the news and our TV screens, say this to each other. Isn't it great that this isn't all there is, but that Jesus is coming to take his people home? When our world tells its lies, most often in its stories and movies, as we sit there with our children or sit there with our friends, actually say this to each other. Isn't it great that Jesus offers more? That Jesus is coming to take his people home. And when death comes, again to our family of believers, or even better, before it comes, to get us ready for it, encourage each other, Paul says, with these words. Let it shape our thinking now so that we will be ready then. Jesus is coming to take his people home. In fact, in what I realize is a very unpresbyterian move, almost as unpresbyterian as preaching from here perhaps, um, and without a hint of awkwardness, I want us to actually do this right now. On the count of three, and if you've got your outlines there, you'll see at the bottom of the outline, I want us to say together and to those around about us what's written on your outlines, Jesus is coming to take his people home. Okay, most of this will work if we're all in and we all do this, so let's be a family. On the count of three, one, two, three, Jesus is coming to take his people home. And one more time perhaps, Jesus is coming to take his people home. Friends, he really, really is. And so encourage each other with these words. 
Well, as we come to a close, just two more things to say. The first is, please notice, won't you, that this promise we've just said to each other and encourage each other with only applies to those in Christ. So important that we know this. Please do not be lied to from the front of this church. Only those who live with him now will rise with him then. Only those who fall asleep forgiven by Jesus will rise again forgiven by Jesus. I remember tragically having a a conversation with a student on campus, a married student amongst us, about her husband. She said this, I wrote it down, exactly how long do we have when Jesus gets back to make a decision about him? And then the heartbreaking part, how long will my husband have to change his mind about Jesus? The answer, no time. Then it will be too late. When Jesus returns, it is too late. When our death comes, it is too late. If you want this hope that God offers here today, then you need to live for Jesus today. Can I say, even if you're not sure, if you're not sure if you have this hope, if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, then please speak to someone about that today. Speak to John. Speak to Michelle. Speak to someone else you trust. Make this promise your promise. Jesus is coming to take his people home. And finally... If you are his, and for the many of us who are here who are, please do be encouraged by these words. Even and especially when death does come and the grief is real and the tears do flow, be encouraged by these words. And please encourage each other with them. As we wrap it up, when my Emily was just four years old, uh, she went through this phase. And I'm sorry that you're here, Em, but hi, Em. Uh, when my Emily was just four years old, some time ago now, uh, she went through this phase where she hated being left by her mum. Uh, and Erica would take her to Crash or Kinder and try to leave her. And Emily would be like clinging to her leg, you know, one of those terrible scenes, bawling her eyes out. And so one day, Erica sat her down, looked into her teary little eyes. And do you know what she said? Emily, mummy always comes back. Mummy always comes back. Later we were chatting to the crash helpers and they were telling us about conversations they'd have with our Am. You know, if she got knocked over, one of the rough boys, or was a little bit sad and they'd ask her if she was okay. And Do you know what she'd say? It's okay. Mummy always comes back. Mummy always comes back. Friends, I want to say this morning, so says God to us, especially in the face of death. Jesus always comes back. Jesus is coming. 
to take his people home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word to us. We need it so desperately. In the face of a world that tells so many well-intentioned lies, so much imagination, pretend hope for the future, we thank you that because Jesus died and rose and will return, our hope beyond the grave is sure and certain and real. Our Father, we pray we would know that today so that we would be prepared when the awful grief comes. Please help us cling to the hope we have in the Lord Jesus of life with him, with those we love beyond the grave. And Father, we pray for anyone in this room who does not yet share this hope with us. Our Father, please, would you be kind to them today to enable them to take a step toward trusting Jesus, that they might join us around his throne with great joy and excitement for all eternity. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.